Welcome to the Business Extra podcast. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, the National's Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With me is Kelsey Warner, the National's Future Editor and Co-host. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Mustafa. So today we're talking about the World Economic Forum because the annual meeting in Davos is happening next week in May. You are packing your bags. You are headed for the Swiss Alps. And we are here to kind of unpack what's on the agenda. Why is it relevant this year? But yes, to your point, in May, not not the typical time of year. So what does that mean for you? Well, I think there's pros and cons, largely more pros. The pros being that it's actually really hard to set the agenda in January because you don't actually know what's going to happen. And so they do a great job of it. And actually, actually, the funny part, the odd part of Davos is the, the main themes are often not what ends up dominating the year, but it's something that's, that's happening there or something that people are talking about. For example, the Wuhan outbreak was very much on the topic of discussion in January 2020. It was the backdrop of the last convening. And now, again, we have another major news story developing with the Ukraine war. Correct. And so to your point, yes, January and February tend to be sort of decisive uh, news moments, seemingly, at least in the last few years. If, we'd, if Davos had been in January, there would have been a lot of discussion about the Ukraine invasion, but we wouldn't have known that that was going to dominate the headlines because obviously it didn't happen until the end of February. And the implications are starting to, the stakes are starting to be known yes. around commodities, around food security, and what this actually means for the macro environment that we're in. So almost uh, the fact that we're bringing all these people in person, um, many people from Europe, leaders from Europe, the German Chancellor, um, Volodymyr Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, will address the, the meeting virtually. Uh, you have the Spanish prime minister. You've got the head of the ECB, Christine Lagarde. You have um, Paul Kagame, the Rwandan president. I'm just throwing out names to kind of say it's global, right? From the Middle East, you, we're going to have lots of officials and, and, and CEOs. I mean, several thousand people are going to be there for the meeting alone. And there'll be probably double that number in the town itself uh, on the sidelines doing, you know, having all kinds of meetings. So really, there is so much to get into. And maybe some of these people will be the first time that they're not, they're not necessarily one-on-one -on -one meetings, but as a group, right? Sure, the big convening. And the last two years, so the, look, the World Economic Forum, it, they took a two-year hiatus. And I think during that time, there was a bit of a PR vacuum. A book came out on Davos Man, who is Davos Man, which has been, you know, fodder for for the last, you know, over decades, because the criticism is that it's a convening to, to just talk and not do. Yes. And um, I think to your point, this convening power is indeed powerful and, and things, there are outcomes out of this, out of this meeting, out of Davos, and um, they have become more action oriented over the last um, decade. Well, what's, really. what, what's interesting is, is that um, the last two years, they, they've had to have online meetings. And because of the online meetings, it's, it's had to make them think differently about how to, to engage and also to have outcomes and, and you know, make sure it's tangible, in particular because the perennial criticism of Davos, it's navel-gazing for rich people you know, to, to come together and just you know, tell each other how great they are. Mm -hmm. When actually, it's, it's, it's sort of really difficult to kind of describe it because it's, it's got this thing of when you're there, you understand, like I said, there's this sort of secret source to it. And when you're outside, it looks like, you know, a waste of time sometimes. But the, I think the two years of, of working on the online has really helped them bridge maybe that misconception. And, and I think I've heard a lot more people that might have criticized it saying, actually, I can tell. And, and a lot of things more were streamed. More people were able to 
to kind of see their events in the last two years. Um, and that conversation kind of became broader. Look, it's always going to get criticism, but I think they probably dealt with quite a bit of that and been forced to deal with a co- quite a bit of right. that. Right, they've weathered a lot of it. They've audited their own output in terms yeah. of content and they've said, okay, you know, game on. We will continue to strive for outcomes-based conversations yes. and outcomes-based actions and agreements. And I'm looking forward to talking to you from the sidelines next week. Yeah, and and the and and in a moment we're going to talk to Alexander Raful from the World Economic Forum. He's head of in, uh, business engagement for the Middle East and, and Africa. Um, but before we do that, I'll just make the point that um, you know Zelensky, the Ukraine president, is is hoping there's going to be discussion of reconstruction of his country, which kind of implies that yeah, you know, some aspects of the future are going to be beginning to be discussed. Of course, we have the large obstacle of the war isn't over and that we have no Russian presence at the World Economic Forum to kind of have some kind of breakthrough moment. But at least if the Europeans and the Americans will be there and other stakeholders will actually have a chance to kind of say, okay, this is how we want to go forward, then perhaps maybe we can plan a little bit for the future. Right. It's a move forward of the conversation from sheer defense to, if they're talking reconstruction, that is that is a new phase yes. of the conversation and the action. Exactly. And we're just beginning to recover from the pandemic and what China's shown, the recent spike in cases, that maybe that trajectory isn't guaranteed. We can't take it for granted. So so there, there's a, I mean, the forum's done very well on healthcare. So that'll be a big one. How do we get ready for the next one? And oh, by the way, climate change. Of course. <laughs> yes. Not to be flippant. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll talk to Alexandra in a moment. Um, you'll hear him talking about energy transition, and I think we'll be hearing a lot of that about what that means and what it looks like and how we piggyback from COP26. Head to the, let's head to the interview. Before you hear from Alexander Rafoul from the World Economic Forum, please do subscribe and hit that bell. Let's now go to that interview with Alexandra Rafoul from the World Economic Forum. Uh, Alexandra, thanks so much for joining us. Um, this year, uh, the World Economic Forum's annual meeting is back in Davos for the first time since 2020. Uh, what, what's the mood like uh, where you are uh, in terms of, of, of what's coming up and how excited you are to have people back in person? Mustafa, thank you uh, for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. And uh, look, I mean, I'm not going to hide it. We're very excited at the forum. It's been a two years hiatus. Uh, quite unusual for our institution to skip a year. And so Ourselves, our staff have been on the starting blocks for some time to get back to uh, the physical component of uh, what we do at the forum, which is bringing together uh, physically our constituents. They have been very eager uh, to meet in person, to reconnect and to be able to exchange uh, some of the opportunities, risks that they foresee and try to map out the world a bit differently uh, have during the pandemic. And and you yourself, how how have things been uh, the last couple of years when you've been dealing with the sort of uh, there have been virtual events as well, but now that you're back in person, have have you felt a change uh, in terms of what you're doing? I mean, because obviously you're you're dealing with engagement with the private sector, with the business leaders for the forum. So has has it helped that you know that they're coming back this year? Of course, and look, uh, maybe a bit of a historical perspective over the past couple of years, Mustafa, we've transformed the value proposition. It was not an easy. Uh, undertaking to digitize a value proposition that was at core uh, based on physical interactions. But we've done that very successfully, thanks to the leadership uh, of the forum and what that translates into when it comes to engaging with our business partners. 
very concretely, what it means is that we've managed to uh, engage a lot more of C-suite functional communities. For example, we've launched a series of virtual dialogues over the pandemic for, uh, for functional C-suite members. So chief human resource officers, chief risks officers, um, a chief economist, and so many other uh, key um, functions within a company. And we've put them together across our different partnerships uh, regionally and across sectors. We've put those functions together to help unpack a little bit uh, what is going on around them. And now is the first time that we meet uh, in person. And so it's building on a momentum uh, that we've uh, crafted over the couple of years uh, in completely transforming the institution. And we sure hope to continue those communities. So it allowed us to broaden our engagement, get to meet uh, and network with a lot more of our partner companies, a lot more executives, and get them therefore engaged in new topics that we didn't necessarily look at it at the depth we do today. So this annual meeting in May, Mustafa, is, uh, is really a continuation uh, of a process that we have been um, after for the past couple of years and that will continue, we hope, for, for years to come. And your remit is the Middle East and Africa. So I'm curious, looking at the agenda for this year, of course, climate change, pandemic recovery, novel tech, future of work, all on the table. Of course, in the backdrop, we've got Europe on tenterhooks with the war in Ukraine. But what are the priorities for your stakeholders coming from this region? What do you think they're bringing to the table and what are they looking for? Oh, it's, uh, it's indeed a special annual meeting. We have a large representation from the Middle East and North Africa uh, in particular. Uh, and what they're bringing to the table simply, uh, if you think about the energy transition, uh, the global equation of it, well, the Middle East uh, and resource endowed economies more broadly are, are very key. They're absolutely key for the uh, development of the energy mix. Uh, they are key for the diversification of their economies, of course, because uh, it's uh, you know, part of the work that we do is also support the visions uh, that the different uh, economies there are bringing forward. They're good visions uh, made to work on unemployment, energy transition, diversification of the economy. So they are key players. They employ a lot of people. There's much work, I think we all know, being from the region there, uh, that needs to be done. And, uh, and we're excited to do just that. Uh, the, the World Economic Forum is, is been running for more than 50 years. Um, it was actually the 50th anniversary in 2020, which was the last in person. So now, I don't know what this one is, the 52nd, I guess, um, it would be technically. But th there were some moments that, that I was looking up to see kind of the, the, the track record. So 1992, you had Nelson Mandela and F.W. de Klerk shaking hands uh, uh, at the forum, and then they went on together to dismantle apartheid. You even had a couple of years later, um, Yasser Arafat and Shimon Peres sort of arm in arm on stage to a round of applause. Um, I remember in 2018 when I was there, um, Donald Trump, um, US president at the time, of course, um, was kind of just this swirling kind of vortex of attention, everyone just following me around everywhere. And as this idea of America, how does America first work in a, in a world where globalization was kind of dipping? Um, and then 2019, we had Greta Thunberg, um, who was warning about climate. And of course, you know, for the, in particular, you know, for the last um, 18 months, you mentioned the energy transition, but we've been discussing um, climate like that. Um, it feels like getting people back together um, with all the challenges that you've discussed and opportunities, it does feel like maybe that's the historic kind of moment we've got. You know, I don't know if we'll get 
that sort of picture of someone. I mean, I know Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, is is speaking, but he'll be virtual. And of course, there are no Russians um, that will be there, at least Russian officials that I can see. So it, it's just gathering sort of several thousand leaders and experts in of itself, kind of a landmark moment, Alexandre? So uh, that's, a, that's a great question and a reflection, Mustafa. Thank you. And, and uh, the history is filled with some of those impact stories and big moments that we've had. A lot of it is known, a lot of it is unknown. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we could talk about the Gavi Alliance being launched at the forum, the G20 being launched at the forum, and countless of those examples. And a short answer to your question, Mustafa, is you don't know up until it's done, in a sense. We can hardly predict what is going to be the flagship moment of the annual meeting uh, this year, uh, or moments, I might say, in plural, because of the variety of stakeholders, the variety of issues that we're going to be talking about. Is this aha moment uh, going to be when we are talking about cyber threats or when we're talking about uh, financial inclusion or we're talking about the food crisis and the commodity crunch? We're not quite sure yet. And this is a conversation to be had after the annual meeting to see what was this highlighting moment. But uh, the demographics of the Davos participants this year is definitely conducive um, to, for us to have those moments. And with over 2,000 leaders confirmed, uh, you have over 1,600 uh, executives, senior executives that are confirmed, 300 public figures, over 50 heads of states and governments. There's widely enough for us to be able to land not only on uh, the big highlights of the annual meeting, but especially to build on projects that will continue throughout the year and leading up to the second half of January 2023, where we plan to come back to Davos again at the start of the year, as we have done historically. In terms of looking at outcomes, okay, we can't predict the future, as you just said, but in terms of looking at outcomes for the region, you mentioned the food and commodity crunch. I think those are the two particular stories that are felt most deeply in this region at this moment. And we spoke to the IMF a couple of weeks ago about their outlook for the region, and they spoke of really a tale of two separating regions of the haves and the have-nots in, in a lot of senses. Can you talk a bit about what we might look for in terms of outcomes for this region in particular when it comes to food commodities around those lines? Of course, look, we'll be having those discussions, a series of public and invitation-only sessions, multilaterals that are uh, Chatham House rule that will be um, fostering uh, at the forum. And of course, there is a diversification of supply question that we'll be talking to our partners about, of course, uh, just hinting at the, the food crunch, of course, we are going to be bringing partners from across different regions in order to help them build new networks, uh, diversify their supply chains, uh, their sourcing, and definitely reduce the risk that is tied to the global environment today. That's on the food side. On the commodity side, well, we're bringing the exporters. We're talking a lot about hydrogen. It's going to be one of those key topics that we'll be discussing and trying to advance. You have companies that are leading and coming for the first time to the annual meeting. For example, Aquapower is one of those uh, companies that we're very excited to bring in. We have, of course, the big oil exporters with Saudi Aramco. We have the investors, the Sokol Wealth Funds coming in with the Mubadalas and the Qatar Investment Authorities and the such. And we're going to be 
in terms of outcomes, we will be launching uh, a series of discussions and projects that are going to be looking at how do we safeguard the economy uh, against uh, the threats that exist and will keep on coming. Uh, we're sure, certainly not out of the woods yet. Uh, that's one. And also, uh, there is a big skills, jobs, uh, employment conversation to be had that will be impacted by what happened in the food and commodity sector and what kind of um, um, fiscal stability exists uh, in the Middle East. And so both on the core industry side, which is looking at the food sector, the commodities and the oil producers, how do we transition safely in an inclusive and, and cost effective way in order to make sure that everybody has the access that they need, as well as the softer elements, but still critical for the national development of employment use, what kind of skills do they need in order to now get ready for the post-pandemic era, uh, which definitely will require a different set of, uh, of skills because the jobs would evolve um, that we'll be looking at the Middle East. And so uh, long answer to your question there, Kelsey. It is um, broad ranging and it will emerge when you see companies change their hiring practices, when you see long-term policies being shaped by the voice of the private sector, when you see coalitions uh, getting built together, uh, financing and self-driving themselves uh, a few years down the line. Uh, I, I want to ask as well about the the change of, of date, because you know there was the hope that we would have had it as usual in January, but now it's going to be in May, which is very much springtime um, in Davos and, and in Europe. I know it's, it's quite warm at the moment um, elsewhere in Europe, but I was looking at the weather and and uh, it looks like it's going to rain Mustafa's every day. worried about what he's going day. to wear at Davos. Uh, it, well, I mean, having having worked out what to wear in the snowy uh, version of Finally, Davos, yes. the rainy version of Davos. But I mean, how do you think the the kind of change of 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 of, of uh, climate will affect things? Because that kind of part of the secret sauce that you were talking about in the beginning about how you bring people together in that way was the kind of unusual setting of the snow and how it kind of, I don't know, equalizes people in a way, because we all have to deal with it. We're all walking through it and, and going through security and all that kind of stuff. So we'll, do you think they'll have the same atmosphere this year? Look, I mean, it's, uh, it's a very interesting question that we get a lot from our partners. Uh, it has, uh, the, the snow in Davos has a magical, uh, you know, backdrop to it. Uh, we still hope to keep the magic going. Uh, something, Mustafa, that, uh, that, that the snow does, and it creates isolation. It forces, in a way, people to go indoors, uh, get warm, attend sessions, and get productive. And if you think along those lines, well, rain might very well be doing the exact same thing. And so it might be just warmer, a bit wetter, but as productive as, uh, as we uh, usually have. So um, the folks that are coming and joining us and honestly gracing us with their presence, uh, definitely are not traveling to walk around and go hiking instead of skiing. Uh, they're here to roll up some sleeves, get work done, have conversations, reconnect as much as they can, uh, simply because uh, they have been missing it for the longest time. So I think um, to, your, to your question, mentally, everybody is ready uh, for the annual meeting and the weather, I think, will play a minimal part this year as, as people are quite keen on. Uh, on getting together indoors. I, I hope you're right. 
you know i'm still i'm still packing my umbrella and my uh, and my ra- and my raincoat for sure um alexander raful thank you so much for being with us i i look forward personally hopefully to catch up with you in davos next week looking forward to it mustafa kelsey thank you very much for your time and uh, and all the best uh, to you and the team there thank you thank you take care goodbye that's it for today kelsey want to thank you so much thank you all that remains to thank our production team and you all for joining us see you next time